Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today in another Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by the Next Level Brands CPG community, a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf. The Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and I'm welcoming to the show today a real pioneer, successful entrepreneur, and global business leader, Tim Angelillo. Tim, like a number of folks, so like a number of folks, uh, I'm, I, I, I want to get this, this out because it's so common. You're a tech refugee, and a lot of people who end up in CPG are tech refugees. Now, Tim has also had a lot of experience in running divisions of publicly traded companies, Guy Who Sports, Time Warner, as well as currently founding leading three different startup businesses in Austin, Texas. But today, we're also going to focus a little bit on alcohol. Why not? And we're going to talk about kind of the category, the challenges, and his company, Sourcecraft Cocktails. Welcome to the show, Tim. Steve, thanks so much for having me. And just like we like to say it's sourced, it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere. I'm never too early to talk about a cocktail. Uh, so uh, most people, I think, are, are, are at least somewhat familiar because of the restrictions in alcohol, whatever else, even if you're just going out for a drink. But the industry itself is really in an antiquated position of regulation by state, good Lord, by county, um, you know, whatever. Right. So the, the CBD people think they have a challenge, but it's like, hey, guys, you know, we have dry counties. Um you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but before we get there, why don't you just um, talk to us a little bit about where the idea for Source came up um, and, you know, why you decided to pick this as, as one of your ventures? Absolutely. So when you think about alcohol, you take on one side, it's a $254 billion annual marketplace. So it's a really big addressable market. Right. Uh, and the, my favorite part is it's recession proof. Right? What <laughs> $250 plus billion dollar TAM marketplace, you know, that's quite literally recession proof and has proved it, Steve, 13 times in the last 100 years. So if you look at the United States, there have been 13 economic declines in the last 100 years. And in every single one of them, the amount of alcohol that gets enjoyed in the United States actually goes up in a bad economy. <laughs> right. We, we, we as consumers are, quote unquote, numbing the pain. So world war, no problem. Alcohol went up. Uh, oil and gas crisis with Iran, no problem. Alcohol went up. Great recession, no problem. Alcohol went up. How about a pandemic? Right. It's shut all the bars and restaurants by order of state governor. Clearly, it couldn't possibly have gone up in 2020, the worst economic year of a generation. Not only, Steve, did it go up, it went up by 14 points. It double-digit increased. In I, I, can attest, I can attest to helping that percentage increase, by the way. Totally yeah. nice. It's sort of like, wow, it's, you know, 6.30, can't go out. I'm not going out to dinner. I got to make dinner. But maybe just a little cocktail before dinner would be a good idea. 
as my wife and I like to say, we over-indexed on that 14 points. <laughs> so, um, so what's interesting about the alcohol industry, when we take our consumer hat off, right, and we put on our Wharton MBA hat, and we look at it just as a business case study, it's a $250 plus billion TAM that quite literally will never decline. And you've got to juxtapose that to the other side, which is the regulatory environment, uh, which is known as the three-tiered system, right. was built on December 5th, 1933. So it's almost 90 years old, and it has almost not innovated one iota. And you have to remember what set up the three-tiered system, uh, which I'll share briefly, is, is actually an American history lesson. So we, the United States, uh, were striving to be the beacon on the hill, right? Oh, yes. The first people that came here wanted to be the beacon. So not only did we have a moral compass, we thought pretty highly of it. We were going to be the beacon. Uh, And there was a certain time period where we, the beacon, decided that alcohol and its effect on human beings was sinful. And we made the entire category illegal with the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution. It was called prohibition. This wasn't just a, oh, it's 90 days, let's dry out moment for us the beacon, right? We made it illegal for 14 years. Right. And the 21st Amendment, which was enacted on December 5th, 1933, which still governs the distribution and regulation of alcohol this evening, right, in 2021, uh, was set up not because our moral compass changed, it was our economic reality. So the purpose of the three tiered system was primarily to raise tax revenue as many times as possible on each individual spirits bottle because alcohol was a category that the government taxed to help pay for the new deal, right? FDR's FDR's new deal, yep. And history would prove right time, right place, uh, you know, right person with the right plan to get us out of the Great Depression. The idea was we, the government, will become the the employer and we will put 50 million people back uh, to work building bridges, roads, and tunnels. And the government said, oh, that's a problem because we don't have the cash on hand to pay payroll, right? As we entrepreneurs know, it's shocking. Yeah. Every two weeks, ADP calls and says, Mr. Angelillo, we're going to run X amount of money on your bank account. And by the way, ADP doesn't take T-bills. <laughs> but no, or, or crypto. I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah. Treasury bill is a big IOU note. That's not sufficient to run payroll, right? And so what the government decided was, hey, we have to find a category we're not taxing today, right? Because property tax, not in a really good place in 1933. Land value is one third what it had been in 1923. Employer payroll tax, second big tax base in this country for the federal yeah, government. Obviously. Yep. Nobody, no, nobody who had a job. That's why they're on the bread line, right? Or my favorite sales tax. No one was buying a loaf of bread because they didn't have any money in their pocket. And so the government went, wow, we're going to have to find something we're not taxing today that we can tax. And they went right the alcohol industry. Right? Because the government still knew people were drinking, right? We in the 21st century know a speakeasy as a right. marketing idea. Yeah, then it was exactly. an actual door with no name on it because it was illegal to own the door, operate the door, or be inside of the door. But the government was popping these places during prohibition. So it knew there was still a market there. And so it allowed the alcohol industry to come back with the 21st Amendment with this fundamental goal of how the distribution model must raise as much taxes as possible. So the three-tiered system is tier one is the brand, right? Known as the supplier. 
right? right? Don Julio, Tito's, Bullet Bourbon. Tier two is the distributor, right? The truck with George Clooney's face on the side of it uh, down Bourbon Street or Sixth Street here in Austin where we're headquartered or Park Ave in New York City, et cetera, yeah. right? That's the distributor. And tier three is the retailer. So when you think, Steve, about the alcohol industry, there are three kinds of doorknobs in this country. Doorknob number one, which the distributor can drive to, is called an on-premise account. It's a bar, it's a restaurant or a hotel. They can serve you. Steve, give me your favorite spirit. Oh, probably um, probably square one organic vodka. Perfect. So they, you can have a square one and soda, but you must drink it on the premises. You can't legally walk out the front door. Right. right? Doorknob number two is referred to as off-premise. Yeah. Right? It's a liquor store or in some states, a grocery store where you can buy the bottle of square one, but you're not allowed to open the bottle and start chugging it in the aisle of BevMo or <laughs> Walmart or wherever you are, right? Because they right. only have a license to sell you the alcohol to enjoy off the premises. There's a big red sign on the front door that says you must consume the alcohol off the premises, Right. which brings us to doorknob number three. And it's really what Sourced was built to solve for. It's what we call the non-premise. Legally, the distributor cannot take the bottle of square one to any door that is not a bar or a liquor store. And that's what we solved, is we opened up every door that is not a bar or a liquor store to be able to distribute legally in compliance with the three-tiered system, not only just the bottle of alcohol, but the rest of the cocktail experience. Right. And so the question, Steve, becomes how many doors are we talking about? Right. So give me a guess. How many doors in this country? And when I say door, I want you and your audience to think about the physical doorknob in the room that you're sitting in right now. Right. How many doors are not a bar or a liquor store by market share? So if 100 percent is every doorknob in this country, what percentage of those doorknobs are not a bar or a liquor store? Give me a guess. Ninety eight. 100% correct. 98.5% of doors are non-premise. And I didn't look that up. That was just a guess. But I yeah. love it. Wow. I love it. Wow. And okay. that's what we built, right? We built a legal route to market to 98 plus percent of doorknobs that had never been possible beforehand, which when you, when you think about, if you take all the regulatory environment away, right? And you just think about spirits as a CPG, right? It's trying to do the exact same thing that Procter & Gamble's trying to do. It's sure. trying to find four more inches of shelf space to go put itself on, right. right? Because that is how it grows. And so what we did is said, here's 98% of shelves you had never been able to access before. And we're going to legally distribute all the way down to the consumer's front door. And we will do it in a curated cocktail format. Which brings us to that, that, that one word, legally. Okay. So how does that happen given a the disparate laws and the fact that are you a brand or are you a distributor or are you a delivery uh, okay great question great question so um we are the delivery agent on behalf of off-premise retailers which in english means we are the third party that is actually making the delivery on behalf of the liquor store because if you think about new york city right yep. for Decades, you could call down and say, hey, Bob, it's Steve. 
I'm going to need another bottle of square one. And they could legally ring you up over the phone. You'd read them your credit card number over the phone, right? They would transact so that the government got its tax revenue and they would bring you the bottle of alcohol to your front door. Uh, we're that in the 21st century, all optimized for a mobile smartphone device, right? It's what we like to refer to as your remote control to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that wonderful, you know, um, that wonderful device that just, yeah. Uh, owns you us now. Yeah, no, I mean, I, look, here's, here's kind of my viewpoint on it, right? Um, I just got back last night from taking my six-year-old daughter, my, the youngest of my three children, on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Paris, France. I asked her where she wanted daddy to take her while her older brothers were at their summer camp. She said she would like me to take her shopping in Paris. I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm crazy. Wow. So I said, you're, you're on. Uh, and I got someone else's apartment from my iPhone, Airbnb. Yeah. So in that world, I can get somebody else's apartment that I'm never going to meet, but yet I can't get a cocktail? Like, that's insane. And that's really what we were built to solve for is we were built to solve for modernizing to the 21st century consumer experience. Uh, we refer to her as the CEO. She's the chief entertainment officer of mm -hmm. her life. Uh, and we have fit alcohol as a category into the rest of her world. She gets somebody else's apartment through Airbnb. She gets somebody else's car through Uber. She gets all her groceries from Amazon, right? Everything about her life comes from that remote control life. And we made sure that she could get a curated experience with alcohol as well. So, okay, incredible concept, right? Huge market. Where did you start? Okay, and physically, sort of, how does the process work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, interestingly, Steve, I started with my daughter. Uh, so, I, I literally came up with the idea of Sourced um, we had uh, exited another business successfully. Uh, we were kind of looking for the next project. Uh, I had been in the alcohol industry at that point, uh, both as the retailer, the distributor, and the brand. So I'd worked in each of the three tiers. So I knew a whole lot about a very, very, very tiny little niche. Uh, just was very fortunate that niche happened to be tied to $250 billion recession-proof monster right. <laughs> called alcohol, right? Um, and I was introducing my daughter to all my family and friends right when she had been born. Uh, and it happened to be Super Bowl Sunday and it happened to also be my wife's birthday. So we had a lot to celebrate. Well, yeah. And I decided I wanted fresh handmade margaritas because we're headquartered in Austin where we're blessed to, to live. Uh, and down here in Austin, we drink margaritas like water. Right. right? right. So I, I wanted it to be a quality experience because this moment meant a lot. Like this is my only daughter and I was going to introduce her to 100 friends and family members. And I didn't want pre-made, you know, nasty, already in the bottle stuff. I didn't want them to have to drink a 50 cent Mexican beer. Like I wanted them to have a nice experience because this meant something to me and to our family. And then I had to go to six stores and I spent eight hours. Yeah. Okay. And I had to hand squeeze the limes myself the night before. And then I had to make all the margaritas because no one knew how to make a margarita, even though I had put these cute little signs about like how to make your own margarita. And the next morning, my co-founder, uh, Angela Rogers said, Oh, well, how was Allison, my wife? Uh, because she knew who really the boss was. She said, how was Allison's birthday? 
Oh, it was terrible. She goes, oh, did Grace, that's my daughter. She, did she spit up on somebody? I'm like, not my daughter. She's perfect. Never, never. She goes, well, what was wrong? And I told her the story that I just shared with you and your audience. I was like, I, I, I missed my entire experience. And I'm frustrated because it cost me $800, eight hours. And I didn't even get to enjoy myself because I was literally being a bartender in my own home. That sucks. Somebody should have sourced it for me from my phone to my door. I'd have paid. And there was this long pause and she goes, oh my God, you're not. I was like, oh my God, I am. <laughs> and so six months, a couple million dollars of legal fee later, um, you know, we launched on September, on October 1st, 2015. We're now the largest craft cocktail delivery business in the country. Wow. Pretty, pretty amazing. Okay. So let's go back to the physical. Um, I'm still not clear on, are you a brand or a delivery service or how, how does that work? And I know you're representing the off-premise, right? Yep. But where do the margaritas get made? How do they get shipped? How do they get delivered? Absolutely. So it's a great question. So are we a brand? Yes. Uh, and our, what our brand stands for is being of service to you having a curated experience. But when you look at the other big pure e-com players in the alcohol space, which are great businesses, Drizzly, Reserve Bar, Mini Bar, Saucy, right? Those are the other big four. What makes us different, not better or worse, just different, is that they'll only deliver you a bottle, right? So they're they're purely serving the convenience factor, your phone, your front door. Right. What we do is we service you a convenient experience right? But one that's fully curated, right? So I always put it into apparel shopping context. There's Kohl's and there's Saks Fifth Avenue. (laughs) Kohl's is a perfectly fine place to shop, right? right? It's just not the Saks Fifth Avenue audience or experience. We serve that Saks Fifth Avenue experience uh, in the alcohol industry. And the reason that we do it is one, our market, right? Our CEO, our chief entertainment officer, right? She doesn't just want the effect of tequila, right? She's not going to take a bottle and start shooting it. Nothing wrong with that. If you promise me you're going to take an Uber or a Lyft, right? But that's just not our experience. Right. Yeah. She wants two perfectly crafted margaritas while she has her neighbors over in the backyard, right? And the other reason that we own the last one mile. So we make the entirety of the experience and we make the delivery, the bottle of alcohol. We make the fresh made margarita mix. We bring you a jigger, the bartender's measuring cup. We bring you the glassware. We bring you the actual menu and how to mix it. The Mm -hmm. reason that we're curating the entirety of it beyond our consumer wants and can afford that premium experience is that the Spirits brand wants to create what it calls liquid to lips. So the number one marketing initiative (laughs) of every alcohol brand in this country is to get you to try it one time and have a good experience. So, Steve, give me um, just at your local liquor store, how many bottles of vodka do you think are on the shelf last time you went? Just give me a ballpark guess. Uh, Okay. So, but to be fair, I live in Boise, Idaho. Even in Boise? In in Boise, Idaho, are state-controlled liquor stores called Liquor Store. Big, huge sign up. So, um, I, I would guess that they probably have, I mean, SKUs, probably 60 brands, probably 45. You're right on the average in Boise, Idaho. Okay. There's 60 different SKUs on average of vodka in a liquor store. Right. right? And they're as consumers, right? Human beings, there's something called the law of choice, 
right? Which basically states that if there are more than eight choices, we as human beings cannot actually make a decision. We're yes. incapable of doing it. Yes. It's what I experienced six plus years ago before the Super Bowl was I had never worked in tequila. I was standing there in front of 40 different tequila bottles and couldn't figure out which one to spend $80 on and had instant buyer's remorse. I mean, think about that as a, as a shopping experience. I spent $160 and before I'd even gotten to the car, I was worried I'd bought the wrong thing. Right. It's it, yeah, very, very true. And, and studies that have been done right in, in stores, in sections where there's cameras on people and they, they agree to that. Um, standing in front of in an aisle standing in front of a bunch of skus and they just are going like this and like this yeah. and like what, this. what do i decide yeah and, and the problem is is that we as brand marketers feed to that right because if you go in if you go in a, in a supermarket wine section for instance mm-hmm. you will find a bottle of wine for six bucks probably somewhere on the bottom shelf and every 50 cents thereafter to the top, okay, you will find something. If you want an $8 bottle of Chardonnay, there's an $8. If you want a 16, there's a 16. There may be a 30, I don't know, whatever. Absolutely incredible. Same thing if you go to cough and cold or allergy. You can buy buy the four hour with eight pills in it, the 24 hour with four pills, the 12 hour with with 36. I mean, and, and, and yeah, and it basically you just get into this analysis paralysis basically on the consumer's part of what is it I buy. Now, that's bad. The good news is, is that if I'm beef eater, right, and I got the, I got the one liter bottle sitting there with a little tag on it, chances are I'm going to do pretty well in that environment. Totally. If someone has tried beef eater. Right. If they're a beef eater, had a good experience with it, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's... Yeah. And when we'll take vodka, given that your um, square one is your favorite. Right. Which, which, by, which, by the way, Tim, you have to special order through the liquor stores in Idaho. They don't, don't have it on shelf. You have to order it. Right. Totally. Right. Because it didn't make one of the top 60 SKUs, right? Nope. nope. Yeah. And, and so vodka is the perfect category to talk about why liquid to lip sampling is so important for a spirits brand. Yeah. Because by industry definition, Vodka, straight vodka, is supposed to be odorless and tasteless. <laughs> so if it tastes like something, you literally effed up and made it wrong, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. The only difference, right, is in the way that you enjoy it in a cocktail, right? So the difference between a $20 bottle and a $40 bottle is all in their marketing positioning and how they have you try it and what you should expect when you're trying it, right? And so that's really why Source was built to serve you the entirety of the experience was that, A, our audience is affluent enough to be able to not only desire it, but afford it. And B, alcohol company needs it to make its marketing objectives work. And so to answer the question, yes, we are a brand and what our brand stands for is this highly curated experience. If we sourced everything you need for the cocktail from your phone to your front door, right? The unlicensed, the non-premise front door. On the other side, uh, we are a delivery mechanism uh, on behalf of the off-premise retailer and serving the brand's needs, right? The square ones of the world by making sure that they're having the right positioning on their cocktail strategy, which again, if you're a vodka, is the only thing that separates you from the 59 other SKUs in the aisle. Yeah. Um, Tim, let's roll back a little bit. Okay, great. Um, 
but you have this idea, right? And um, you want to put it into action. So did you start by trying to deal with your, the county, you know, where Austin is? Did you, how did you roll that out? And then, you know, plan wise, well, first of all, what was your plan? And then did, did it go according to plan? Um, so success is not in a straight line. Uh, I've been a part of, uh, as you mentioned uh, kind of earlier uh, in our visit, I've been a part of several publicly traded companies, uh, Time Warner and Yahoo. Uh, as a senior executive, I've been a part of a lot of uh, early stage companies as well. And I have not yet found success to be point A to point B. Right. In fact, the windy nature uh, is what brings you to the right answer. Uh, and what, the way we refer to it is not win or lose, it's win or learn. So the failures that we have as entrepreneurs, if we can view them through the lens of a learning lesson, are actually going to make you stronger and make your product market fit better, make your pricing model better, make your brand loyalty better. I'm not saying they taste good, right? Like I, I, I'm the most competitive person on planet earth Right. As a two sport collegiate athlete, um, um, I, you can't play bingo with me without it being like, uh, wow, calm down, <laughs> have a cocktail, Tim. Right. But but what I've come to understand is those learning lessons, even though they taste terrible, are the things you've really got to pay attention to. And so for us, right. we, when we go into a new market, uh, we're now. Uh, in 10 major U.S. cities, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, Austin, Dallas, Houston, Miami, D.C., New York, and will be opening uh, Atlanta in Q4 of this year. Um, we start with the regulatory environment. So right. we always start sitting down at a state and a metro level, uh, a county level, and, and making sure that the way we're going to distribute uh, the way we're going to make all the non-alcoholic mixes will fit with the county health department because right. they're all made fresh. You can order at two o'clock and be enjoying it that same afternoon. Uh, and part of that is the convenience factor. And part of that is the curated nature. Like we, we right. literally made the mix two hours before you were enjoying it. Uh, and the way that we make the mix, they're good for five nights. Um, and so we start with the regulatory environment. Um, once we built that component of it, uh, then we build the operational capacity. Uh, so again, the easiest phrase, Steve, I've ever said in my career is we own the last one mile. Yeah. And it is the hardest dang thing ever to actually go produce perfectly over and over and over and over again. Right. Uh, okay. So, and, you know, when you think about it, lots of other businesses also you know, struggle with that, right? Uber, not profitable. Uh, right, right. DoorDash, not profitable. Uh, Grubhub, barely profitable. Amazon, right. only profitable because of Amazon Web Services, right? Why did, why did when Bezos retired, yeah. did they give, who'd they give the business to next? The guy who'd been running the cloud product. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because he drives 70% of the net income of the business, right? Yeah. You, uh, still, you, still, can't, you still can't send a truck into my neighborhood with a 795 CPG item in it and drop it off at my door and make money. That totally that doesn't, that doesn't happen. Somebody there is subsidizing uh, my experience. Yep, totally. And in, in Amazon's case, right, it is the subsidizing entity is the web service product. Um, and so for, for us, it's really about making sure that we're in compliance at a county, 
metro and state level with the alcohol side, making sure we're in compliance at a county, state, and federal level on the food side. We don't distribute food, but according to the governments, our fresh mixers are considered a food product and are now um, have to be in compliance with the cottage laws of this country, right? And that's why you don't see another source is I'm the only person that uh, was crazy enough, smart enough, some combination of those two that said, the ABC entities and the FDA, I would like to poke both of those situations and actually come out the other side over and over and over again. Uh, and that's really what Source was built for because we fundamentally believe that if you can get somebody's apartment in Paris from your remote control of life, your iPhone, you should be able to get a damn cocktail. You, you should be. Yeah, no, it makes absolutely perfect sense. Um, from the, uh, all right, so you, you get it launched. Now let's talk about the awareness marketing part, yep. right? So where did you go to, the, to reach the people who could A, afford, and B, would want this type of, quote, service slash product? This is a, I love that you asked this question, Steve, because I hope for your audience, it's a really good indication of what we call listening and learning, right? So you should listen to the feedback you're getting, learn from it, and then apply it. The, the original marketing idea was to go, because we're headquartered in Austin, Austin's where we started, was to go to all the tech companies. You got to remember, this was seven years ago. Right. Um, yeah. we, were, we were going to Facebook. We were going to WeWork. We were going to Dropbox. We were going to Cardigo. We we're going to all the tech companies who we knew had an employee base of over 100K HHI, so they could afford the B2C product. Right. And we were giving away the experience. So we were going into the company's headquarter building, also a non-premise location. Right. Facebook's office building is not a bar and right. it's not a liquor store. Right? right. And we were actually giving away the cocktails at a company happy hour, marketing the here's 10 percent off to enjoy the experience at home this weekend. And what ended up happening, Steve, was all of those tech companies kept calling back week after week, man, that was great. It was so much better than just serving white wine and a cheap plastic cup. Like my boss loved it. Will you come back and do it again? And so in the first three weeks, I spent <laughs> three months worth of the company's marketing budget. And my co-founder looked at me and she was pissed. I mean, pissed, rightly so. Uh, and she's like, I mean, I don't know. We can't afford to go give 1800 cocktails away to Facebook <laughs> employees again. Like it's just, you spent the the whole first quarter before the first month is out, like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell Facebook no. Like, we're this startup and it's Facebook. Like, I'm not telling them no. She's like, well, I'm not telling you to tell them no. I was like, well, what do you want me to do? She goes, I don't know, charge them or something. And she literally hung up the phone because she was that pissed. And I sat there and I thought, oh, charge them. I charge them. Interesting hmm. idea. How do we and do what that? ended up happening was we ended up building an enterprise business, a B2B business, where we help over 18,000 office managers in this country create company culture by elevating the quality of their cocktail experience to fit the significance of the happy hour they're celebrating. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Got it. And, wow. and, and everyone looks at that now and they're like, Oh, that's brilliant. I'm like, well, that, that, that brilliance, I literally ran dead into <laughs> right in the nose. Like well, shit, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's important as entrepreneurs that we remember, right. The only entrepreneurs that I'm 100% sure will fail are the ones that think they have it absolutely right before they get to market. And the ones that are just, yeah. this is the yeah. only way it's going to be. Those, I can guarantee you, will be part of the 95% of us that fail. I'm like right. 100% sure they're not going to make it because you have to be able to 
oh, oh, you know, this reason why we all call them MVPs, minimal viable product, right? Launch, yep. listen, learn, apply. Launch, listen, learn, apply over and over and over and over and over again. And once you do it for six years, right, you wake up, now you're in 10 markets, you're doing tens of millions of cocktails distributed, and you're the largest platform in the 250 plus billion dollar marketplace. And that didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen without a lot of luck, right? The right. pandemic, uh, while terrible uh, for all of us as human beings, was fantastic for sourced as business. Yeah. Uh, oh, right? yeah. Oh. And, and it just, it took the alcohol category like it did many, many other CPG categories and people went, oh yeah, I'm going to only order that for my phone moving forward. Yeah, there you go. Well, and you know, it, it's, it, it is just what has happened. And, uh, you know, I, I work with a couple of, you know, shelf stable food companies who had the same thing happen is, um, you know, everything went nuts. Uh, but what was, was funny in, in both cases was uh, 2020 was going to be the year of the big food service push. So all the folks that you're talking about at, at Facebook and Salesforce and whatever else, we were going to push to that to get curated stuff in their kitchens, in their whatever. 2020, that's, that's what we were going to do. And of course, it just disappeared, right? Everything disappeared. But Amazon, right, went nuts. I mean, totally. just could not keep stuff in stock. And what are these people doing? And then, but what came out of that that was sort of interesting about once that kind of calmed down a little bit was the baseline was moved so far and the habit formed of purchasing those products online, right, has stuck around way longer than I think any of us thought it was going to. Totally. I mean, I think that'll be, you know, 50 years from now, that will be one of the things remembered about the pandemic was that there were huge consumer behavior shifts. Yeah. Primarily yeah. because it went on for 18 months. Uh, yeah. And just to give, put that back into the context of the alcohol industry, uh, Bloomberg News just reported uh, that e-commerce, right, yeah. which again sourced is, is kind of at the luxury end of that. And again, doesn't mean that other ends of it aren't important, but uh, our end to kind of at the fully curated experience. Um, e-commerce will go from $2 billion a year of the $250 billion to $50 billion in the next 24 months. So we talk yeah. about kind of the rocket ship that we're on, right? We're on this just really blessed, amazing, you know, the way I sort of describe it is like we're on a completely straight vertical rocket ship and it's shaking ever so slightly. That's how fast it's going. Oh, and, and totally changing, totally changing industries, totally changing. I mean, just... Absolutely great. Strain on supply chain. I mean, everything is going to have to react differently in order to in order to to keep up with this. You know? Totally. And that and I think that's another, you know, when you talk about strain on the supply chain, that's another really great um, kind of listen and learn um, example from sourced is we didn't build our own ERP right out of the gate, right? We didn't build our own software. Right. Yep. Uh, to run the logistics, right? We, it, the whole buy versus build. We were like, no, no, <laughs> we're going to lease it and build a couple cute things on top Yeah. until we really figure out where the business is, right? We get four and a half years in and now all of a sudden the business is big enough and we understand where the business is and we built our own custom ERP that all the logistics software only runs us, right? And I, and I think as entrepreneurs, Sometimes there's that uh, inclination because there are babies, 
And I get that. Sure. Sure. Because I I feel the same way because there are babies. We want them to be perfect. But at a certain point, you again, you just have to launch and know that things aren't like we, the way we look at it is we're not trying to be perfect. That is not our goal. Right. Right. Uh, Perfect is a marketing mirage that people like me make up in an ad. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's that it's an unattainable goal. So we don't shoot for things that aren't attainable. We're looking at for excellence, which means for us, 97% of the time, the order has to be on time and flawless. There's going to be 3% of the time that Murphy is going to show up. There's an accident on I-95. Like, well, right, right. it's going to be late. I don't control that. We'll refund the client and give them the cocktail experience. You know, and that'll, and we just have to understand that the elasticity of that has to be built in because we can't control everything. Right. But, I, but I think this idea of just launch, don't build everything all the way to bright because as you go along, right, you might end up like yeah, yeah, it's a shift. Yeah. yeah. You might end up with some like source, right. Where it's like, wow, we've got a big B2C business and oh my God, we have an even bigger B2B business. And that was the marketing idea. So um, if uh, folks are lucky enough to live in the metros that you serve, uh, and able to afford the curated experience, how do they find SourceCraft? Super easy. Uh, SourceCraftCocktails.com. Okay. From your magical device, uh, your remote control to life, Android or iPhone, directly to your front door. Uh, if you order by two o'clock in your local time zone, you can have it delivered that evening or you can schedule it anytime up to two months in advance. If you have friends coming over, um, you know, you can, you can always, uh, schedule it, uh, ahead of time. That's great. And you take Bitcoin, <laughs> <laughs> all forms of payment, except for crypto. <laughs> except for crypto. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, um, the other interesting part that all of this, all this paradigm shifting and stuff going on is we were talking with some people yesterday about expectation levels. Um, and, and, and they're, they have a company that's really pretty good at their own fulfillment. But they said, you know, the expectation levels where we used to do, you know, we, we busted our ass to get three day and now that's not enough. And, yeah, and, and they're just right. You know, yeah, they're thank going you, Mr. Bezos. Yeah. Right. And where are right? Thanks, Jeff. And, you know, where how are we going to do this? How are we going to do it in fourth quarter? I mean, because everything is looking like, you know, fourth quarter is going to be if you thought there was a crunch on supply chain now. And, and they were saying, hey, you know what, we're, we're, you know, we're buying beer for our UPS guys and stuff because we want to make sure they stop right when they come by. You know, it's like, yeah, we're going to figure that out. So yeah, it's no, going to be huge. I think it definitely is going to be huge. And I think um, part of it is planning. Yep. Right. So plan now for your peak. Um, part of it is people. Right. You, you have to understand as a business leader that the people, I don't care what you make. I don't care if you make shampoo. I don't care if you make cocktail kits. I don't care if you make enterprise software. At the end of the day, there is a person somewhere in that process of building that product. Yep. And now more than ever, you have to understand that that person is your business. Yep. Right? I'm not yep. making the deliveries, right? There's somebody on the other end, right? That is making $25 an hour. Right. Um, plus the gratuity, plus a transportation reimbursement. We literally pay for their gas because my viewpoint was, hey, that person is hugely important to the quality oh, of our experience. That, that, that's my face to the customer. Totally. Yeah. And if they're disgruntled, right. not a good experience, right? No, no. no. Um, 
So, and, and we built the business model so that we knew six years ago, part of what we wanted to be of service. We wanted to be of service to the consumer, phone to door. We wanted to be of service to the brand. It was curated. And we wanted to be of service to the hospitality industry where we've always paid $20 to $40 an hour, where you know the restaurant industry pays $2.13 an hour. Yeah, that's changing. Um, and it has to, it has to. otherwise people aren't going to come and put right, their right. most valuable resource, two, their professional. Things you better get used to. You're going to, you're going to pay more for your restaurant experience. I get news for you. And you're going to pay more for a head of lettuce because you know, that we don't have people willing to do that at that, at that price point anymore. Again, another one of the paradigm shifts from the pandemic and, and supply chain management is totally. And, and I think as, as I read a really interesting article last night that talked about um, an HR manager had written a, essentially an article about her experience with senior management, where they gave her one budget that was literally three times bigger for hiring an external resource than retaining the internal resource. Oh. And it's like, that's wrong, right? Like, right. Oh, totally. Look, if you don't want that internal resource, you need to make the hard decision, which is right for the business and for that individual to move yeah. on to whatever's next. And you need to do it with compassion and you need to do it doing the best the business possibly can afford to transitioning for that person and his or her family. Right. But you got to you got to rip the bandaid off. If you want to retain that person, you need to think about them with as much, if not more critical factor of retaining them than going out and get somebody new that doesn't know jack about your business or your process or your people or your customers or anything else. Right. No, no. And I think, I think that's the, the, the first piece is plan for what we call O and D October, November, December, put your plan together now. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, and absolutely. your best educated guess and go. Number two is make sure your people are well taken care of and that you have a good handle and that you're, just as focused, if not more so on retaining them than yep. on getting new. And then, and then the last piece is review your process now, right? Yeah. Take, oh, your, absolutely. Yield, take your yield curve up yeah. right from yep. where it is today up in source case, right? It's going to go up 300% by December, right? And where do we break, right? Like at what point in, in which section of the process does this not no longer work? 300% increased and start trying to figure out how to plug the gap today. I, yeah. I was on a webinar a couple weeks ago, folks from cahoots, right? Mm -hmm. So e-com logistics and basically a network of e-com logistic fulfillment places around the country so that you can get your stuff to people in one or two days. And the guy is talking about the planning and stuff and he goes, okay. He says, so, so stop looking at the calendar and thinking about the calendar in the way you used to. He goes, Q4, but he's a Q4, Q4, he goes, screw Q4. He goes, Q4, what we traditionally used to look at, starts August 1st with back to school and ends Valentine's Day. Then we get a little breather until Mother's Day. But that, stop looking at it like that. He goes, there's no, you know, Christmas fall off the wall in January. No, no, there's Super Bowl. Right. Mm -hmm. So everything's still hyped all the way through. And, and the Super Bowl of Valentine's Day, he said, just just stop thinking about it like that. You need to start ramping up, particularly if you're seasonal and Q4 is your season. You need to start ramping up so that you're ready to go out the door August 1st and be prepared to sustain that momentum until February 14th. Yep. Review the plan. Oh, yeah. Ensure you've got the right people and you're taking care of those people and they know that they're being taken care of because your job as a leader is to be of service to them. Yeah. They can be of service to the guest or the customer 
et cetera. And then, and then lastly, review the process. Yeah. And alternates to all of your suppliers, to all of your methods, have an alternate because you're probably going to use a few of them. Hello, yeah. plan B. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Tim, hey, it's it's but it's been great having you, you know, chat with us and stuff. Uh, I, I don't even know how to do this in terms of this is the segment of the show where we usually try to get our guests to boil down, you know, one phrase, one issue, whatever. But you have like 15, like just like floating around, and we've already gone through 20 of them or whatever in this show. So um, I, but I, I still I still ask you. You know, yeah, one for um, you, Steve. Here, here would be my phrase. Okay. North Star. A business has no ability to succeed if it doesn't have a North Star. And I learned that at Yahoo. Okay. Right? And, and when you help lead a really big business like that and you don't have a North Star, it's really anxiety ridden because you can't tell 5,000 smart people why we got out of bed today. Right. And so a company right. absolutely must have a North Star. It's, it's sourced. Our North Star is to be of service. Right. That's why. We exist to be of service to the consumer so that they can order from their phone to their door, like every other CPG category, to be of service to the brand so that they get their marketing accomplished at the position that they want that differentiates them from their competitors and to be of service to our people, right? So that we're paying them a livable wage and that we're giving them a real career opportunity in the hospitality space. And at the end of the day, you have to put everything you do through that North Star. We hire people based on that North Star. We transition people out of the business based on that North Star. (laughs) We look at outside investors through that North Star. We look at future product lines through that North Star. Everything we do comes through, is this the best way to be of service in modernizing the $250 billion marketplace that is the alcohol industry into the 21st century? And if it's not, we don't do it. Then right, it's not in our wheelhouse. 110%. Awesome. Hey, Tim, you know what? Uh, thank you so much. And um, we have at least two other shows we have to do down the road somewhere. I mean, wow. I, I, you know, there's not only stuff in your background, but also a lot of the stuff you've talked about today is very important to our audience. And I would love to have you come back and sort of do some deep dives on some of those things if you if you consider it. It's been an honor to be here to be with your audience. Thanks for having me. And I'd love to come back anytime. No problem. Really appreciate it. Hey, and thanks to all the rest of you for joining us on the Next Level Brands podcast. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health and wellness, or even small goods, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, of course. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.